Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. How's it going? Good. Uh, can we give uh, just our appreciation to the worship team for kind of leading us into the presence? It's good. Love our team and love being able to, uh, to serve with them. And how about this new pulpit, huh? You guys can see me like, like um, you know, check my fly every now and then. There's this big hole in here. And uh, so good to see you guys. Um, love, love being in church. Love being in church. Oh, jeez. Let me ask South Campus, do you like being in church? Can you do better than these guys? Yeah, okay. Uh, why don't you guys all just turn around, take a look in that camera, and just wave hello to South Campus right there. Hey, guys, we love you. Uh, thanks for, for coming and joining us here at church this morning. Uh, uh, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, my name is Jamie, and I'm the assistant pastor. Uh, again, just want to welcome you guys. So excited to be a part of uh, what's going on here tonight. And uh, I hope that God has something special for you. I'm extra excited because I'm on cold medicine and coffee. I've been running on that for like 24 hours. And I even wore like my Canadian tuxedo. Uh, I am ready to go. We are in week six of a series that we're calling Dress Code. And what we're doing is essentially going through the armor of God because all of us are in a battle. Whether or not you see it or not is not the point. But you are in a spiritual battle where the enemy is after your soul and he's doing his absolute best to keep you away from a relationship with God, an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking through uh, the armor of God. And for the past five weeks, we've been talking about the things that we put on in order to shield ourselves and defend ourselves from the attacks of the enemy. So we're going to test and see how well you remembered what those five pieces of armor were. First, we started with the belt of truth. Good. The next was the breastplate of God's righteousness. The shoes of, that's right, the Air Jordans of peace. The shield of faith. Oh, good. Someone knew it. Uh, and finally, the helmet of salvation. Well, what's most exciting about that is that three people put on the helmet of salvation for the very first time last week and, and made the decision to follow Jesus. So, yes, 
That is good news. That's why we do what we do. This week, we're taking a little bit of a different turn. Because for five weeks, we've been talking about the things that you put on, those, those things that defend you from the attacks. But this week, we're going on the offensive. And who better to preach an offensive sermon than yours truly? <laughs> and so this week, we are talking about Ephesians six seventeen. It says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. It's not something that you put on. It's something that you take up, and it is the word of God. So you don't go to war without a weapon. God wouldn't take the time to explain the pieces of armor. He wouldn't get you all dressed up with nowhere to go. He wouldn't get you all dressed up and not send you with a weapon of some sorts. That only happened once, I think, that I know of. And uh, we happened to get a little glimpse of it this year. One of my favorite movies this year was a Mel Gibson-directed movie called Hacksaw Ridge. And raise your hand if you saw it. Fantastic movie, really, really good. Nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Actor and Best Picture. It was fantastic. This story is about a guy named Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector to the Second World War. But he felt God call him to go into the war and be a medic. And so even though he was more of a pacifist and kind of didn't really uh, didn't believe in violence and hurting one another, he went and he was recruited into the war as a medic. And when he got to his boot camp, he, was, he told his, um, his sergeant and basically his infantry leader that I'm not going to hold a gun. And they said, well, you're in a war. There's a little bit of guns included. And he says, no, I'm here to be a medic. And so um, I'm going to ruin the movie for you. Close your ears if you don't want to. Yeah, there's a spoiler alert happening. So um, essentially, he goes to war without a gun. He basically gets through the, a court-martial, and he, they actually let him go to war. And they say, look, it's your own life. And so when he is there, he does something absolutely incredible. And he doesn't touch a gun in, his, in the whole war, the Battle of Okinawa, once. But he saved over 75 men who were injured and near death on the battlefield. And, I, and all because he wouldn't go to war with a weapon. But what he did have was that sword of the Spirit. He had the Word of God with him. And his wife even gave him a little pocket Bible that he had with him. And he went to war with that. He went to war with what he believed God was calling him to do. He went to war with the sword of the Spirit, with the convictions that Holy Spirit had given him. And he stuck true to those, even though he was beaten and, and mocked and ridiculed. But that doesn't happen very often. And so God does not expect us to go into war without a weapon. So what does this look like? Or what does the sword of the Spirit look like? If we've got these things on, well, what do we take up? Well, I brought a few examples of what I think a sword may or may not look like. And um, this one, uh, this is made of plastic and foam. This is a Nerf sword uh, of one of my boys. Um, this isn't going to help you in war. 
It's foam, it's plastic, uh, you know, you can, you can hit yourself with it and it's not going to hurt, I'm not going to do that. But what we do is we give this to our boys to settle disputes. First one to cry loses. Here, have fun. But a Nerf sword is not going to do the trick. And then, of course, we've got, um, I'm sure, one of our favorites. Um, this will look familiar to most of you. Uh, this is a lightsaber. Yeah. This is used to defeat dark Sith Lords and chop the hands off of Jedi Knights. But this is fictitious. This is not going to do you any good in war. As cool as it is, and as cool as it sounds when you swing it around, it's not going to help. Then you have this. Um, this is a toy, but this is kind of a mock-up of a katana blade. And a katana would be used by the Japanese or samurais. And it was basically a single-edged sword, and it was really only used for offense. And so there was really only one thing that you did with this, and it was poke people and cut people and chop stuff. That's what this katana was for. But then let's get into some of the, maybe the funner stuff. This, this is like some Braveheart stuff right here. <laughs> this is an English longsword. And um, one of my uh, guilty pleasures lately has been watching a show called Forged in Fire. Anybody? Anybody? Like one of you, hey man, let's go after. Let's, I, guess I got it on tape on VHS, dude. Let's watch it after. It, it's like my favorite show. And it was these guys take these pieces of scrap metal and they make these medieval ancient weapons and then they put them through all these tests. It's so awesome. And this is the kind of stuff they're making. This thing is beefy, man. This is like, this is what you see on Braveheart where he's like, freedom! Ah! This thing is nuts. But the thing is, it's so heavy. And it's so big. And it's, it's so, the blade is so long that it takes two hands to wield this. And so you can't hold a shield. You can't hold a shield and swing this at the same time. I mean, this is a, this is a if you have this going into war, your assumption is that you are not returning. We're going with something like this. And so all of a sudden, we need to maybe scale down a little bit. And so we have something like this, and this is called a claymore. And uh, this is a, a medieval knight sword, uh, and uh, typically the hilt would be in a, more of a V-shape. But this is something that you can swing around a little bit easier, right? Nobody's sitting in the front row, thank the Lord. <laughs> This is something that you would take into battle if, you, if you're all dressed up and ready to go. You've got the armor on and you've got your shield in one hand. This thing you can swing around a little bit. This is a double-edged sword. And so what that would typically mean is that it would be used for both defense and offense. So this is the kind of thing that we want to shield or wield when we're going into war. Maybe? I don't know. But you can't walk around the city of Fredericton with this in your belt. This doesn't quite work. Oh, I don't do that. Um, this doesn't quite work. I think someone tried to carry around like a, a, an umbrella last year that was shaped like a sword and the guy got arrested or something. You don't really want to take this around town. It's not going to work. So what does our sword look like? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 for that. This is what it says about the sword of the Spirit. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, 
between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So all of a sudden, this thing doesn't quite cut it. Because you could probably cut through bone and marrow, but I get the sense that this doesn't cut through soul and spirit, the supernatural battles that we are all going through. This probably isn't going to be a help. So the claymore just doesn't cut it. And we know that it's ineffective because Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We need something more powerful. We need something that's a little sharper. We need something that's not made of metal and wood or foam and plastic. We need something that cuts through soul and spirit and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to what that is. This is the infallible, inerrant, perfect word of God. And it is sharper than any of these toy or real swords. It cuts through bone and marrow and it cuts to and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It cuts through soul and spirit. This becomes the most powerful weapon that God equips us with. This book and that's what it's for. It's God's word on paper. It's his instruction. It's his, his love in the form of a book. So we know what the sword of the Spirit is, which is the word of God, which is this thing right here. But how do we use it? What do we, what do we need it for? Well, there would be two things, I would say, that we use the sword of the Spirit for. The first is to equip ourselves with God's power. And the second thing would be to strip the enemy of his power. Let me say it again. The first two things that this is going to be used for is to equip us with God's power and to strip the enemy of his power. So let's talk about that for a quick moment. In uh, 2 Timothy 3, Paul is writing these letters to Timothy. And Timothy is a young pastor who's He's kind of come under the tutelage of Paul over the years. And Timothy is a young pastor who has this church, and his church is going through this struggle where all these false doctrines and all these incorrect opinions are beginning to flood into the church and into the hearts and the minds of his people that he's pastoring, these people that he's shepherding. And so Paul says, look, this is what you need. This book is the thing that you need to stick true to. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14. He says, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting, uh, by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, this whole thing, is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, 
It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what this thing is all about. Uh, When Catherine and I were serving uh, in Moncton at her dad's church, um, there was a guy that we went to church with for a little while before he left uh, for another church. And soon afterward, we had heard that he had begun to work with an organization. And this organization was one of those kind of street evangelism organizations where they they bring out the soapbox and they stand on the soapbox with a bullhorn and a picket sign. And they begin to wave their Bible around and tell people that they're going to hell and that their sin is going to find them out, and that God is going to judge them unless they change their life, and and they're wrong because they're living this way, and they're sinful because uh, they're they're doing these things. And so Catherine and I, a few months later, uh, were walking home uh, from a U2 concert at Magnetic Hill, the concert site there. And as we were walking out of the gates, we heard this commotion as we walked a little bit further to the sound, here was this guy that we knew was standing on his soapbox with a bullhorn and, 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 you know, picket signs and waving their Bible and just angrily pointing their finger at people and, and telling them they were going to hell because they had gone to this secular concert. And as we walked by, I actually caught eyes with this guy, this guy who I had actually led worship to uh, a few months earlier. And he looked at me with like the, uh, the passion and fire of Christ in his life. And he looked at me and said, you're going to hell because you were at this concert. And I thought, like, don't you know that I love Jesus? Don't you know where I'm coming from? I mean, we've gone to the same church. And so there begins to be this tension, uh, that, that, that truth and grace tension. And yes, I do believe that that. Hell is a viable option for you if you don't give your life to Christ and you don't repent of the things and the habits and the lifestyles and the things that you have in your life. If you don't give those to Christ and you don't accept Christ as your Savior, that is a viable and very likely option. But here's my problem with it, is that this sword is, is, shouldn't be really used in that way, because we are told all throughout that scripture is that it's to teach us what is true. He's talking to Timothy in his church. It's, it's to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. Did you see these, these singular words that he's using? He's referring to us, his church. It teaches us what to do right. It's used to prepare and equip his people to do good work. But here's the thing. This word, this sword, is used to show the obedience of God, not the compliance of man. Let me say this again. We are to use this to show people how to be obedient to God, not how to be compliant to man. And what I mean by that is when we begin to wave this book around at people and point our finger and tell them what is wrong with themselves... We're essentially just trying to tell them how to be compliant to the lifestyle and the things that we wish that they would do, the changes that we wish we would make. But, but the word here says in, in 2 Timothy 3 is that really this is for us to be obedient to God. Let's, let's introduce people to their creator, 
to the one that loves them. Let's introduce people to Christ, the one who has compassion for them, who wants to forgive them. Let's introduce them to that person, and then let's let Holy Spirit do all the transforming work. Let's let Holy Spirit do all all the the soul-cleansing work, because you have no business doing that. God does the heavy lifting in this relationship. God does the work. He changes the life. He atones for sin. He is the one who cleanses the soul, not us. And so when we use this as a sword to hurt people, to tell people that they're wrong, to tell, to tell people why they're going to hell without giving them an example of the person who wants to put them in heaven. We have a problem here. And now I get it. I get that there's a tension, and there are some of us, and I have been there, and sometimes I still am there. I have bad habits. Some of us have um, lifestyles that we need to get out of. Some of us need to stop doing some of the things that we're finding ourselves in. And this is a book of instruction on that. But it's for us, is what Timothy says. It's to teach us what is wrong. Let's invite people to meet Jesus. And then let them use this and find out what Holy Spirit wants to do to change them, to transform them, to heal them, to cleanse them. Instead of using this as a, as a claymore, as one of these swords, just swinging it around wildly, hoping that someone gets cut. And look, I'm sure that we can, some of us may have to agree to disagree that that form of evangelism, uh, I don't think it works. Some of you may think it does, and that's absolutely okay. And I'm sure that there are a handful of people in this world who have maybe even come to Christ in such a way. But I would also argue that if we use this in its proper way to teach people how to be obedient to God and not to teach them how to be compliant to man, to our opinions, then we can begin to use it the way that God expects us to. People need to know that they're loved by God, that they're created by God, that they're wanted by God. This is a tool for us to teach us truth, righteousness, and how to please God. It's meant to strike our hearts and not somebody else's head. That's what the sword of the Spirit is all about. So that first, the first way to use the sword of the Spirit is to equip ourselves with God's power. And the second is to strip the enemy of his power. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. Again, this is Paul writing. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war like humans do. We use God's mighty weapon not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. It's about destroying obstacles, not destroying people's lives. It's about destroying the things that they're doing, not the person that they are, because God loves them for who they are. The sword tears down strongholds, and continuing, it says, we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That is, using this to teach people how to be obedient to Christ, not compliant on how I think you should live. We'll let Holy Spirit do the spiritual heavy lifting, the work that only he can do. And so this sword tears down strongholds. 
And that's the key word here, is strongholds, because that's what the enemy uses to put in our lives to keep us from a relationship with God. He puts up strongholds, these obstacles in our lives that we have to cut down in order to get closer to Jesus, in order to follow the will of God. We need to get rid of those strongholds. In 2009, in San Francisco, this company began to build this giant skyscraper. And this costed about $350 million to build this skyscraper. And these people were paying millions and millions of dollars to get a condo in this place. And a few years later, people have noticed that the room started to, to feel a bit funny, that the gravity of their room seemed to be pulling in a certain direction. And a few years later, they began to see tiles begin to crack within the lobby of this place, and the sidewalk stones began to crumble in and fall in on themselves. And so they brought some people in to see what was going on. And it turns out that the contractors had, had built this huge $350 million structure on really bad foundation. And now it actually leans two and a half inches to the west and seven inches to the north. And this huge skyscraper has essentially sunk 16 inches into the ground. Now, you might not be able to notice that by the human eye, but people who actually bought rooms, bought condos in this place, they were putting golf balls on their kitchen counter and seeing it roll downwards and onto the floor. And these people were, were in their building thinking there's something not right here. When they would turn the water on, it would run slightly with a little angle. And so if you don't build your structure on a firm foundation, you're going to sink. And it's the same way with us. If you're not building your life on this foundation, then the strongholds that the enemy is going to put in front of your life is going to pull you down just a little bit more and a little bit more until you're 16 inches into the ground thinking, how am I going to get out of this? But when we make our foundation about the word of God in our lives, the strongholds can come down in a significant way, a significant way. And Jesus gives us the perfect example of what these strongholds look like and how to tear them down. And he uses the word of God. So if you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. This story comes right after Jesus was baptized. And as soon as he was baptized, he found himself in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days. And what he did there was basically fast and prepare himself for ministry. And so the devil thinks that this is a great opportunity to try to have a conversation with Jesus and begin to tempt him. But Jesus gives us an excellent example of what it means to have a foundation in our lives to keep us from being pulled down by these obstacles, these strongholds that he puts in our life. This is what it says in Matthew 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, no, no. For the scriptures say, that is the word of God says, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, because the enemy is sneaky, he sees Christ's position. He says, man, this guy's been in the desert for 40 days fasting, so he's got to be hungry. He says, look, if you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Just have some mouth, right? You don't have to be hungry anymore. Just turn them into bread and eat. Just, Just do it. Just show me. I would love to see it. What a great magic trick. And so the enemy's trying to goad him into doing this, and he says, no, 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 no. And he arms himself with the spirit, the sword of the spirit. And he says, no, no, no. People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the first stronghold that the enemy wants to use is that he wants to tempt us. That's the first stronghold is that the enemy wants to tempt us. And here he's tempting Christ with some food after he's been hungry for 40 days. And there are, uh, there's all of us, at least once a day, I can imagine. The devil's trying to tempt us with something, and maybe, maybe it's small, and maybe it's insignificant. Or maybe it's that habit, that bad habit that just keeps coming up again and again in our life. On a daily basis, the enemy is going to try to tempt us with something. And we need to have this as our foundation in order to tell the enemy to get out of here and to prove him wrong with the word of God. Well, this is what the word says. You don't need to tempt me. And now, we have to remember, and this has been said from this pulpit before, temptation is not a sin. Being tempted by something is not sinful. The the enemy is going to do that in your life all the time. But giving in to that temptation is sinful. Giving in to that temptation is letting the stronghold pull you down just a little bit more. Giving in to that temptation is the thing that the enemy wants us to use us, to tempt us and to pull us away from God's work in our life. So we need to destroy temptations by knowing and reciting and using the word of God to ignore the temptation of the evil one. The second way, the second stronghold that the devil uh, uses against us is that he tries to test us. This is what it says in Matthew 4, starting at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple. and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say... He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you, don't even, so you won't even hurt a foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, but the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And it's interesting because sometimes the enemy will use scripture to try to trip us up. Even the enemy knows a little bit of scripture. And he'll try to use that to test you. <clears throat> he'll try to use that to try to convince you that what you're doing is right. He'll try to use that to test your faith in God, to test your relationship with Jesus. He wants to test your knowledge and reliance on the word. Sometimes he's going to pick out the sneaky stuff like that. He's going to try to test you. That's another stronghold that he does. He's going to try to test you with your reliance and your trust in your relationship with God. He's going to make you doubt faith. 
He's going to make you doubt where your life is going. He wants to make you uh, ignore what this says. He wants to test you by trying to prove you wrong. Stick true to the promises. Stick true to what the sword of the Spirit says. Make this your foundation. The trust trumps the test. The third way that the enemy uses a stronghold in our lives is that he tries to turn us. This is what it says in Matthew 4, starting at verse 8. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. And Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. See, the enemy's main goal is to be able to pull you away, to turn you away from what God is asking of you. He's trying to turn you away from your trust in God. He's trying to turn you away from what the will of God is asking you to do now, what he's requiring you to do now. He tries to convince Jesus that, that you can have this earthly kingdom. He's saying, look, you just kneel down and worship me. Just turn from your Father's will, and I can actually give you all of these kingdoms right here and right now. But we know that God would eventually elevate him to the highest place, and that when Jesus put himself on the cross for us, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that the enemy tries to put this stronghold up where he tries to turn him away from the will of the Father. And he says, hold on a second, the will of my Father says that I'm going to have both earthly and heavenly kingdoms. So what my Father says trumps what you say. He makes his foundation about the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and he brings down the strongholds of temptation and of testing and of turning. And we can do the same thing if we make this the foundation of who we are, the foundation of God's word. And so the sword is more powerful sometimes than we give it credit for. Because while it would look really cool for us to run around town with this, right? This looks a little intimidating, but this is so much more powerful. It's sharper than any, any one of these swords because it cuts through soul and spirit because it does something in our lives that no other weapon can do. And so God wants us to arm ourselves and take up our weapon. He's not even asking us to put it on. He's saying, take it up. Get ready for a fight. God does not ask us to put on all the armor and not send us into battle without a weapon. Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian, said, we are not merely to defend with the word of God, but to assail. He says, grasp your weapon. Go forth and fight. Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, not just by what he reveals, but by what he overturns. Church, this thing can overturn strongholds in your life. 
This can overturn the enemy and all his lies. This powerful foundation is strong enough to bring down whatever it is that the enemy can throw on you. This looks intimidating, but this is more powerful. And if we use it in the right context, God can use it to do an incredible work in your life and in the lives of those around you. So when it comes to yourself, use it to equip and prepare yourself to do God's will. For others, use it to show people how to be obedient to God and not compliant to man and how you think they should live. Even if the word says that it should, they should live that way, show them how to be obedient to this and let God and the Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross be, do an ultimate work in their lives. And for the enemy, this breaks down the strongholds and the obstacles in your life. Use the word to foil his plans to tempt you and test you and turn you. Look, a soldier, once he's got his armor on, he loves that sword. Once, once he knows he's going into battle, he stays true to his sword. He clings to his sword. He, he takes care of his sword, and he does not go to war without it. Church, love this sword. Cling to this sword. Do not go to war without this sword. Cling to it. Care for it. Trust in it. Put your armor on. Take your weapon, your weapon up. And go pick a fight. Because there are things in your life, there are strongholds in your life that need to be torn down. And the more that you just let those sit, the more you just let them stand on your foundation, the further that the enemy is pulling you from a true, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. So pick a fight. Let's pick a fight this week. We got some stuff in our lives that we need to get rid of. And God has given us this tool, this incredible weapon to go bring down some obstacles in our lives and in the lives of those around us. If he is for us, who is it that can stand against us? With a weapon like this, there is no other weapon that shall prevail against us. Let's pick a fight with the enemy because we know that Christ has the victory. This we know that the enemy will run. He's scared of this. Demons are like terrified of the name of Christ. How many times in your week do you actually just use the name of Jesus over people and over your own life? That name alone has significant power to it. There is power in the name of Jesus. So let's use it to our advantage. Let's use it to pray that name over people. Let's pray it over the obstacles and the strongholds in our life. Jesus and the word of God is the best weapon that God gives us to go out and pick a fight. Let me pray for you guys. God, may we truly use this weapon, the word of God, in such a significant and powerful way this week. Let us tear down some strongholds in our life to get us closer to you 
so we can grab on closer to the, the, the will of God and what you're asking us to do when we fight battles this week that will ward off the enemy. We've dressed ourselves in the armor, and now, God, we're taking up the sword, and next week we're going to learn what it means to pray over ourselves as we go into battle. But, God, let's pick a fight equipped with the sword of the Spirit, the powerful word of God, and all of us agreed and said, 